Appendix One, Part One of On War, Volumes Two and Three by Carl von Clausewitz, translated by J. J. Graham. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Timothy Ferguson. Appendix One Summary of the Instruction given by the Author to His Royal Highness the Crown Prince in the years 1810, 1811, and 1812. Part One scheme which was laid before general von gordy presuming that it is only a preliminary knowledge of the art of war which his royal highness the crown prince is to receive from me with a view to his royal highness being enabled to understand modern military history it is of the first importance that i should give the prince a clear idea of war and that i should do so in such a manner as to avoid diffuseness or taxing the prince's faculties too much in order to acquire a thorough knowledge of a science it is necessary to apply one's mind chiefly to the study of it for some time and it appears to be too soon for the prince to do this for these reasons i have adopted the following course which appears to me most in accordance with the natural direction of the ideas of a young man in carrying it out my chief endeavour will be in the first place to make myself always intelligible to the prince as otherwise the most attentive pupil must soon become wearied confused and disgusted secondly in every case to avoid giving any erroneous ideas through which his further instruction or progress of his own studies might be impeded or interfered with for the sake of the first of these objects i shall endeavour to keep the subject always in correspondence with the natural understanding as much as possible and in this effort shall often deviate from the scientific spirit and scholastic forms i now submit to your excellency the plan i have sketched hastily and beg you will do me the favour to correct my view in any points in which it may not be in accordance with your own next to a preparatory knowledge of weapons and the different kinds of troops some conception of applied or higher tactics as they are called and strategy is principally necessary in order to comprehend military history tactics or the theory of fighting is in reality the principal thing partly because battles are decisive, partly because it comprises the most of what can be taught. Strategy, or the theory of combination of separate battles towards the object of the campaign, is a subject more of natural and matured power of judgment. Still, we must at least point out clearly the subjects which are therein to be found, and show their mutual connection and relation to the whole field fortification in such a synoptical course will be most suitably placed with the theory of the defensive in tactics permanent fortification in or after strategy tactics itself comprises two different classes of subjects one class may be understood without having any acquaintance with the strategic relations of the whole to this belong the formation for tactical purposes and the mode of fighting of all the smaller parts from the company or squadron up to the brigade of all arms and in all kinds of country those of the other class are in intimate connection with strategic conceptions to this class belong the usual action of whole corps and armies in battle outpost services and the minor operations of war etc etc because in such there are introduced conceptions of position battle march etc which cannot be understood without previous conceptions of the combination of the whole campaign i shall therefore separate the two classes of subjects begin with a concise and very general description of war pass on to tactics or the action of the smaller divisions in battle and then stop short when i reach the position order of battle 
of the whole corps or armies in order to return to the general view of the campaign and to explain more in detail the connection of things then the remaining chapters on tactics will follow lastly i shall begin strategy again with the idea of the course of a campaign in order to consider the subject from this new point of view from this now follows the arrangement as under arms powder small arms rifles cannon and all appertaining thereto artillery theory of charges for horizontal and vertical firing service of cannon of all kinds organization of a battery expense of guns and ammunition etc effect of artillery ranges probability of hitting other kinds of troops cavalry light heavy infantry ditto formation destination character applied or higher tactics a general conception of war battles position of smaller divisions and their mode of fighting a company of infantry with or without artillery on all kinds of ground a squadron of cavalry the same the two together ditto in different kinds of ground order of battle for a corps of several brigades ditto of an army of several corps the two last sections without relation to ground because otherwise the idea of position would be introduced more detailed explanation of a campaign organization of army at the commencement of a campaign whilst it marches and takes up positions it requires measures of security outposts patrols reconnaissances detachments minor warfare when an army chooses a position such arrangements must be made that the army can defend itself in the same tactical defensive field fortification attacks of the army in such positions conduct to be observed in the combat itself battle retreat pursuit marches defence of rivers passage of rivers lines of posts cantonments strategy view of a campaign and of a whole war in strategic respects what determines the result in war plan of operations plan of operations arrangements for subsistence offensive war defensive war positions lines of posts battles marches defence and passage of rivers cantonments winter quarters mountain warfare system of war etc etc permanent fortifications and siege warfare either precede strategy or form a conclusion to the whole the most important principles of the art of war to complete my course of instruction of his royal highness the crown prince although these principles are the result of much reflection and an assiduous study of military history they have only been drawn up hastily on the present occasion and the form in which they appear will not bear any stringent criticism besides from the multiplicity of subjects only the most important have been selected a certain conciseness being essentially necessary these principles therefore do not constitute a complete course of instruction for your royal highness they are only intended as a foundation for reflection on your own part and to serve as a guide in these reflections one general principles to be observed in war one the great object of the theory of war is to guide us to the way of obtaining a preponderance of physical force and advantages at the decisive points but if this is not possible theory teaches also how to speculate upon the moral powers upon the probable errors of the enemy upon the impression made by a bold spirit of enterprise etc etc even upon our own desperation all this is by no means beyond the province of the art of war and its theory for that theory is nothing but rational reflection upon all situations in which we can be placed in war the most dangerous positions in which we can be placed are just those 
which we should look upon as most likely to occur and those about which we should most distinctly make up our minds that leads to heroic resolves founded on reason whoever represents the affair to your royal highness in any other manner is a pedant who can only do harm by the views he advances in the critical moments of life in the tumult of battle you will one day feel clearly that no other view can give any help when help is most necessary and when a dry pedantry of figures leaves us to our fate two naturally in war we always seek to have the probability of success on our side whether it be that we count upon a physical or moral superiority but this is not always possible we must often undertake things when the probability of our succeeding is against us if for instance we can do nothing better if in such a case we despair then our rational reflection and judgment leave us just when most wanted when everything seems to conspire against us therefore even when the probability of success is against us we must not on that account consider our undertaking as impossible or unreasonable reasonable it will always be if we can do nothing better and if we employ the few means we have to the best advantage in order that in such cases we may never lose equanimity and firmness two qualities which in war are always the first to be in peril which in such a situation are difficult to maintain but without which with the most brilliant qualities of mind we can effect nothing we must familiarize ourselves with the idea of falling with honour cherish that idea constantly and completely accustom ourselves to it be convinced most noble prince that without this firm determination nothing great can be effected in the most fortunate war to say nothing of an unfortunate one we may be certain that this idea often occupied the mind of frederick the second during his first silesian campaign and because he was accustomed to it he made the attack at luthen on that memorable fifth of december and not because he had made a calculation that with the oblique order of battle he would in all probability beat the austrians three amongst all the operations left to your choice in any given case amongst all the manoeuvres which are open to adoption there will always be a choice between the bold and the prudent some people think that theory is always on the side of the prudent that is false if theory could give advice in the matter it would counsel the most decisive consequently the boldest as that is the most consistent with the nature of war but it leaves to the general to choose according to the measure of his own courage of his spirit of enterprise and confidence in himself choose then according to the measure of these inner powers always remembering that there was never a great general who was wanting in boldness two tactics or the theory of combat war consists of a combination of many distinct battles now although this combination may be either skilful or the reverse and the result in a great measure depends upon that point still the battle itself stands before it in a point of importance for nothing but a combination of successful battles gives a good result therefore the thing of the highest importance in war will always be the art of conquering the enemy in battle on this your royal highness cannot bestow too much attention and thought the following principles i hold to be the most important one general principles a for the defence one to keep troops on the defensive under cover from fire as long as possible as we may be attacked consequently may have to defend ourselves at any moment except when we are ourselves acting on the offensive we must therefore always take up a position as much under cover as possible two not to bring the whole force into action at once if this fault is committed all rational guidance of the combat is at an end it is only with disposable troops that we can turn the course of a battle 
three to trouble ourselves little about the width of our front as it is a matter of little consequence in itself and the depth of the position that is the number of troops placed one behind the other is diminished by an extension of the front troops which are in rear of the front line are disposable they can either be used to restore the combat at that point or brought forward at other adjacent points this principle follows from the preceding for as the enemy whilst he attacks some part of the front often seeks to outflank and envelop at the same time therefore the troops placed at the rear are available to repel such attempts and accordingly supply the want of local obstacles on which to rest the flanks they are better placed for that purpose than if they stood in line and extended the width of the front for in such case they themselves would be easily turned by the enemy this point also further establishes the second five if there are many troops to be posted in the rear only a part should be placed directly behind the front the rest are placed in an oblique direction in echelon to the rear beyond either flank from this last position the enemy's columns approaching to turn our flank can in turn be taken in flank it is a first maxim never to remain perfectly passive but to fall upon the enemy in front and flank even when he is in the act of making an attack upon us we adopt the defensive therefore on a certain line only to compel the enemy to develop his forces for the attack of that line and we then pass over to the offensive with troops which have been kept in reserve as your royal highness once justly remarked the art of field fortification is not to serve the defender like a wall behind which he can stand in greater security but to aid him in attacking the enemy with more success the same applies to every passive defence it is always only the means of attacking the enemy with advantage on ground that we have looked out and prepared for ourselves and where we have drawn up our troops this attack belonging to the defensive may be made either at the moment the enemy opens his attack on us or whilst he is on the march to do so it may also be arranged that when the enemy commences his attack we draw back and thus lure him on to ground of which he is ignorant in order to fall upon him on all sides for all dispositions of this kind the deep formation of an army that is an order in which only two-thirds or the half or even less are in front and the rest posted directly and obliquely in rear under cover if possible is very well suited and therefore this order of battle is a point of infinite importance eight therefore if we have two divisions it is better to place one behind the other than to place them in line with three divisions one at least should be placed in rear with four probably two with five at least two in many cases three etc etc nine at the points where we remain passive we should make use of field fortification but only in separate enclosed works of bold profile ten in forming a plan of battle we should have a great object in view as for example the attack of a strong column of the enemy and a complete victory over it if we only choose a small object whilst the enemy pursues a great one we shall evidently be the losers we play with thalers against fenigs eleven if our plan of defence is aimed at some great object open bracket, the destruction of a column of the enemy etc close bracket, we must follow it up with the utmost energy expend upon it all our forces in most cases the efforts of the assailant will be in some other direction whilst we fall upon his right wing he will be seeking to gain an advantage with his left if we slacken our efforts sooner than the enemy if we follow up our object with less energy than he does he will attain his object he will gain his advantage completely whilst we shall only half reach ours thus the enemy obtains the preponderance thus the victory becomes his and we must give up even our half advantage gained if your royal highness reads attentively the account of the battles of ratisbon 
and Wagram, you will see the truth and importance of this. In both these battles, the Emperor Napoleon attacked with his right wing, standing on the defensive with the left. The Archduke Charles did the same, but the one did it with full resolution and energy. The other was undecided and stopped always halfway. The successes gained by that portion of the Archduke's army, which was victorious, were unimportant. Those which the Emperor Napoleon gained in the same time, at the opposite point, were decisive. Twelve, if I may be allowed to bring forward once more the two last principles, the combination of them yields a maxim which in the modern art of war may be regarded as the first among all causes of victory, that is, to follow up a great and decisive object with energy and perseverance. Thirteen, danger in case of failure is increased thereby, it is true, but prudence increased at the cost of victory is no art. It is a false prudence which, as already said, is opposed to the very nature of war. For great ends we must venture much. True prudence is, if we risk anything in war, to select and apply carefully the means to our end, and to neglect nothing through indolence or want of consideration. Of this kind was the prudence of the Emperor Napoleon, who never followed great objects timidly, and with half-measures, through over-prudence. Among the few victorious defensive battles that are noted in history, you will find, noble sir, that the greatest were fought in the spirit of these principles, for they are principles derived from the study of history. At Minden, the Duke Ferdinand suddenly appeared on a field of battle on which the enemy did not expect him, and proceeded to the attack, whilst at Tannhausen he defended himself passively behind entrenchments. At Rossbach, Frederick II threw himself on the enemy at a point and at a time where his attack was not expected. At Lignitz, the Austrians found the king in the night, in quite a different position from that in which they had seen him the day before. He fell upon a column of the enemy with the whole weight of his army and defeated it before the others could take part in the engagement. At Hohenlinden, Moreau had five divisions in his front and four behind him, either directly or obliquely to the rear. He turned the enemy and fell upon the right flank column before it could carry out its intended attack. At Ratisbon, Marshal Davis defended himself passively, while Napoleon, with the right wing, attacked the 5th and 6th corps d'armée, and completely defeated them. At Wagram, the Austrians were in reality on the defensive. Still, as they attacked the Emperor on the second day with the greater part of their force, we may look upon the latter as acting on the defensive. With his right wing, he attacked the Austrian left, turned and beat it, not troubling himself meanwhile about his weak left wing, consisting of a single division, resting on the Danube, but by means of his strong reserves, deep position, he prevented the victory of the Austrian right wing from having any influence on the victory which he had gained on the Rusbach. With these reserves, he retook Adekla. All the foregoing principles are not plainly exemplified in each of the battles enumerated, but all are examples of an active defensive. The mobility of the Prussian army under Frederick II was a means to victory for him, upon which we can no longer build, as other armies are capable of moving as ours now. On the other hand, at that time the turning a flank was less generally in vogue, and therefore the deep order of battle was less imperative. B. For the attack. 1. We try to fall upon a point in the enemy's position, that is, a part of his army, a division, a corps, with a great preponderance of force, whilst we keep the other parts in uncertainty, that is to say, occupy them. It is only in this way that when our forces are equal or inferior, we can fight with the superiority on our side, that is, with the probability of success. If we are very weak, 
then we can only spare very few troops to occupy the enemy at other points that we may be as strong as possible at the decisive point unquestionably frederick the second only gained the battle of luthen because he had his small army on one spot and well concentrated as compared with the enemy two the principal blow is directed against a wing of the enemy's force by an attack in front and flank or by completely going round it and attacking it in rear it is only if we push the enemy off his line of retreat by victory that we gain a great success three even when in strong force we often choose only one point for the great shock and give the blow against that point the greatest strength for to surround an army completely is seldom possible or supposes an immense preponderance both physically and morally but the enemy may also be cut off from his line of retreat by an attack directed against a point in one of his flanks and that is generally sufficient to ensure great results generally the certainty high probability of the victory that is the certainty of being able to drive the enemy from the field of battle is the principal point upon this as an object or end the plan of battle must be formed for a victory once gained even if it is not decisive is easily made so by energy in pursuit five we endeavour to make our attack concentrically on that wing of the enemy which is to receive the shock of our main body that is in such a form that his troops find themselves engaged on all sides at once allowing the enemy has troops enough to show a front in all directions still the troops under such circumstances become more easily discouraged they suffer more are sooner thrown into disorder etc in short we may expect to make them give way sooner six this turning of the enemy compels the assailant to develop a greater force in front than the defender readers note there follows a diagram in the diagram there are three white rectangles and one black rectangle the white rectangles are labelled a b and c the black rectangle is labelled e the white rectangles form a loose horseshoe around the black rectangle readers note ends if the cores a b c are to fall concentrically or by converging lines on the part e of the enemy's army they must naturally stand on lines contiguous to each other but this development of our force in front must never be carried so far that we do not retain strong reserves that would be the greatest error possible and would lead to defeat if the enemy is in only some measure prepared against being outflanked readers note the follows a diagram which is an elaboration of the previous diagram a b and c form a loose horseshoe about the thin edge of the black rectangle e assuming e's point of view behind rectangle a there are now two further white rectangles g and f readers note ends if a b c are corps intended to attack e as part of the enemy's army then the corps f g must be kept in reserve with this deep formation we can incessantly renew our attacks upon the same point and if our troops are repulsed at the opposite extremity of the enemy's position we are not obliged to give up the day at this because we have to set off any success the enemy may have gained it was thus with the french at wagram the left wing which was opposed to the austrian right resting on the danube was extremely weak and was totally defeated even their centre at adekla was not very strong and was obliged to give way to the austrians on the first day but that did not signify because the emperor's right with which he attacked the austrian left in front and flank had such a depth that he brought a heavy column of cavalry and horse artillery to bear upon the austrians in adekla and if he did not beat them was able at all events to stop their progress seven as in the defensive 
so in the offensive that part of the enemy's army which in its destruction will yield decisive advantages should be the object of attack eight as in the defensive so here we must not relax our efforts till we have attained our object or that our means are entirely exhausted if the defender is also active if he attacks us at other points we have no chance of the victory except by surpassing him in energy and boldness if he remains passive then in that case we run no great danger nine long continuous lines of troops are to be particularly avoided they only lead to parallel attacks which are now no longer to the purpose each division makes its own attack although in conformity with the plans of higher authority and consequently so that they accord with each other but one division eight thousand to ten thousand men is never now formed in one line always in three or four from this it follows that no long continuous lines can be used any more ten the attacks or divisions of army corps in concert must not be combined with the intention of their being under one guidance so that although at distance from each other and perhaps even separated by the enemy they still remain in communication even alighting themselves on each other etc this is an erroneous bad method of carrying out a cooperation which is liable to a thousand accidents through which nothing great can ever be effected and by which one is almost certain to be well beaten if we have to deal with an active vigorous enemy the true way is to give each corps or division commander the general control of his march to give him the enemy as the point on which his march is to be directed and the victory over the enemy as the object of his march each commander of a column has therefore the order to attack the enemy where he finds him and to do so with all his strength he must not be made answerable for the result for that leads to indecision he must be responsible for nothing more than that his corps joins in the fight with all its energies and makes any sacrifice that may be necessary eleven a well-organized independent corps can resist the attacks of a vastly superior force for a certain length of time some hours and is therefore not to be destroyed in a moment therefore if it has even been engaged with the enemy too soon and is beaten still its action is not lost on the whole the enemy must have deployed his forces and expended a certain portion of them on this corps and thus given our other corps a favourable opportunity for attack of the organisation of a corps for this purpose we shall speak hereafter we ensure the harmonious action of the whole in concert when each corps has in this manner a certain independence and seeks out the enemy and attacks him at any cost twelve one of the most important principles for offensive war is the surprise of the enemy the more the attack partakes of the nature of a surprise the more successful we may expect it to be the surprise which the defender effects by the concealment of his dispositions by the covered position in which he places his troops the offensive can only effect by the unexpected march to the attack this is an occurrence which rarely happens in modern warfare this is partly owing to better measures for the security of an army partly owing to wars being now prosecuted with more vigour so that there are not now those long pauses in the operations which lulled the one party to sleep and gave the other a favourable opportunity to make a sudden attack under these circumstances except by a regular night surprise such as at Hochkirch, which is always possible the only way now to surprise an enemy is to make a march to the flank or the rear and then suddenly return upon him or if we are at a distance then by forced marches and by great efforts to reach the enemy's position sooner than he expects 
13. The regular surprise by night, as at Hochkirk, affords the best chance of doing something when our army is small, but it is attended with more risks for the assailant if the defender knows the country better than he does. The less we know of the country and of the enemy's arrangements, the greater these risks are. Therefore, such attacks in many instances can only be regarded as desperate means. 14. In such attacks, all the arrangements must be more simple and we must keep still more concentrated than by day. 2. Principles for the use of troops 1. If we cannot dispense with the use of firearms, and if we could, why should we carry them at all, we must open the combat with them, and the cavalry should not be employed until the enemy has suffered considerably by the action of infantry and artillery. From this follows a. That the cavalry should be posted behind the infantry, b that we must not be induced to bring the cavalry into action too soon. The cavalry should not be launched boldly to the attack until such disorder prevails in the enemy's ranks that we may hope for success by his hasty retreat. 2. The fire of artillery produces greater effect than that of infantry. A battery of eight six-pounders does not occupy a third part of the front of a battalion of infantry, is worked by an eighth of the number of men composing a battalion, and does certainly twice, if not three times, as much execution with its fire. On the other hand, artillery has the disadvantage of not being so easily moved as infantry. This applies in general, even to the lightest description of horse artillery, for it cannot be used like infantry upon any ground. From the commencement, therefore, the artillery must be kept united at the most important points, because it cannot, like the infantry, concentrate itself at those points during the progress of the battle. A great battery of 20 or 30 guns is in most cases decisive at the point where it is placed. 3. From the particulars just specified and others which are evident, the following rules present themselves for the use of the different arms of the service respectively. a. The battle is commenced by artillery, the greater proportion of that arm being brought into use from the very first. It is only with large masses of troops that both horse and foot artillery are kept in reserve. Artillery is used in large masses, brought together at single points. Twenty or thirty guns defend the principal point in one great battery, or batter the point in the enemy's line, which it is intended to attack. B. We use light infantry, either marksmen, riflemen, or fusiliers, principally in order not to bring too many troops into action at once. We try first to feel what there is in our front, for that can seldom be properly examined. We want to see which direction the fight is likely to take. If we can maintain an equal fight with the enemy with this line of skirmishes, and that there is no reason for hastening the affair, we should do wrong to hurry forward other forces. We should weary out the enemy with this kind of fight as much as possible. C. If the enemy brings so many troops into the combat as to overpower our line of skirmishes, or we cannot delay any longer, we bring forward a full line of infantry which deploys itself at a hundred or two hundred paces from the enemy, and either opens fire or advances to the charge according to circumstances. D. This is the chief purpose for which the infantry is destined. If we are drawn up in such deep formation that we have still a line of infantry in column in reserve, we are tolerably well master of the combat at this point. This second line of infantry should, if possible, be used only in columns to decide the day. E. The cavalry during this time keeps in rear of the troops engaged in action as near as it can, without suffering much loss, that is, beyond the reach of grape and musketry. It must, however, be at hand that we may be able to profit by any success which takes place in the course of the combat. 
for in following these rules more or less strictly we must keep in view the following principle on which i cannot insist too strongly viz not to make a venture with all our forces at once because we thus throw away all means of directing them to weary our adversary with as few troops as possible and keep in hand a considerable mass for the last decisive moment once this last reserve is staked it must be led with the utmost boldness five an order of battle that is a method of drawing up the troops before and during the battle must be established for the whole campaign or the whole war this order of battle is to be observed in all cases where there is not time to make special dispositions it must therefore be based chiefly with a view to the defensive this order of battle will reduce the form or manner in which the army fights to a kind of method which is very necessary as well as salutary because a great number of the generals of second order and other officers at the head of smaller divisions have little knowledge of tactics and no special aptitude at all for war by this a certain methodicism is instituted which takes the place of art where the latter is wanting my persuasion is that this exists to the greatest degree in the french army six according to what has been said respecting the use of the different arms of the service this order of battle for a brigade would look something like the following readers note that follows a diagram the caption of the diagram is as follows a b is a line of light infantry which opens the battle and in a broken uneven country serves in some measure as an advanced guard then comes the artillery c d intended to be placed in battery at advantageous points until put in position it remains behind the first line of infantry e f is the first line of infantry intended to deploy and open fire in this case it is formed of four battalions g h two regiments of cavalry i k the second line of infantry which constitutes the reserve intended to decide the result of the battle l m its cavalry caption ends the diagram also shows an extra line marked horse artillery behind the lines mentioned in the caption readers note ends according to the same principles a similar disposition may be established for a corps of larger proportions at the same time it is not essential that the order adopted should be precisely that now laid down it may differ in some respects so that it is in conformity with the foregoing principles thus for instance the usual position of the cavalry g h may be in the line l m and then it is only brought forward when it is found to be too far in rear at l m seven the army consists of several such independent corps which have their generals and staff they are drawn up in line or one behind another according as that may be prescribed by the general principles for the combat one thing we have still to add which is that if we are not too weak in cavalry we should form a special reserve of that arm which naturally will be placed quite in rear and is for the following purposes a to press upon the enemy if he retreats from the field and to attack the cavalry which he employs in covering his retreat if the enemy's cavalry is beaten at that moment great results must follow unless the enemy's infantry performs prodigies of valour small bodies of cavalry will not answer the purpose on such an occasion b to hasten the pursuit of the enemy if without being beaten he makes a retreat or if after a lost battle he continues to retire on the following day cavalry marches quicker than infantry and is more dreaded by troops that are retreating and next to beating the enemy the pursuit is the most important thing in war c if our object is to make a great turning movement to turn the enemy strategically and on account of the detour we must employ an arm which marches quicker then we may take this reserve cavalry for that purpose 
in order to make this corps more independent horse artillery should be attached to it for there is a greater strength in a combination of several arms eight the order of battle for the troops has relation to the battle it is their disposition for that end the order of march is in its essentials as follows a each complete corps whether brigade or division has its own advance and rear guard and forms a column of itself that does not however prevent several such corps from marching on the same road one after another and thus to a certain extent forming as a whole one great column b the corps march according to their position in the general order of battle that is to say according to their appointed place in that order may happen to be in line with or in rear of each other so they march see in the corps themselves the following order is invariably observed the light infantry form the advanced and rear guards accompanied by a proportion of cavalry then follow the infantry then the artillery last of all the rest of the cavalry this order is kept whether we move against the enemy in which case it is the natural order or parallel with the enemy in which case properly those who in the order of battle are to stand behind one another should march side by side if we have to form a line of battle there can never be want of time to such a degree that we cannot withdraw the cavalry and the second line by one flank or the other three principles for the use of ground one the terrain the ground or country gives two advantages in war the first is that obstacles to approach are thus presented which either render it impossible for an enemy to reach certain points or compel him to march slowly to keep in column etc the second is that obstacles of ground enable us to conceal the position of our troops both advantages are very important but the second appears to me the greatest at all events it is certainly the one which we can most frequently make use of because even the most level country in most cases still allows of drawing up of troops more or less under cover formerly the first of these advantages was almost the only one known and very little use was made of the second now the mobility of all armies is such that the first is of less service and just on that account we must make use the more frequently of the second the first of these two advantages is only serviceable in the defensive and the second in both attack and defence two the ground considered as an obstacle to approach is of use chiefly in the following points a as a support for the flanks b as a means of strengthening the front three as a fit support for a flank an obstacle should be quite impassable such as a large river a lake an impassable swamp these are all impediments which are rarely met with and therefore perfect supports for the flanks are seldom to be found and the want of them is felt now more frequently than formerly because armies move more do not remain so long in one position consequently require a greater number of positions in the theatre of war if the obstacle to approach is not an impassable barrier then it is properly speaking no point d'appui for a flank it is only a point which strengthens the position troops must then be placed behind it and then again it becomes in relation to these an obstacle to approach it is certainly always of advantage to strengthen the flanks in this manner as fewer troops are then required at these points but we must take precautions against two things the first is placing too much reliance on such supports for the flank and thus neglecting to have strong reserves behind them the second is covering both wings with obstacles of this description for as they do not completely secure either they do not prevent the possibility of a combat on both flanks this may easily become a most disadvantageous defensive for the obstacles will not allow us easily to sally forth with an active defence on one wing and thus we may be reduced to defend ourselves in the most unfavourable of all forms with both flanks thrown back readers note there is a diagram at this point which shows a semicircle enveloping a rectangular shape 
the points of the rectangle being the position of the two flanks before and after they are thrown back readers note ends for these considerations lead again to the deep order of battle the less we are able to find secure support for the wings the more cause we must have in rear with which we may in turn outflank any portion of the enemy's army which shall seek to act against our flank five all kinds of ground which cannot be passed by troops marching in line all villages all enclosures of parcels of ground by hedges and ditches marshy meadows lastly all hills which can only be mounted with some difficulty come under the head of terrain hindrances of this kind that is of obstacles that cannot be passed except with difficulty and slowly and which therefore add greatly to the strength of the troops posted behind them in the combat woods can only be included in this category when the underwood is very thick and the ground marshy a common wood of high trees is as easy to pass as a plain there is one point however in respect to a wood which must not be overlooked that is that it may serve to conceal the enemy if we place ourselves inside it then there is the same disadvantage for both sides but it is very dangerous and at the same time a great mistake to have woods in front or on the flank such a thing can never be allowable unless there are very few roads by which they can be traversed abatis intended to bar the passages are so easily removed that they are not of much use six from all this follows that we should endeavour to make use of such obstacles upon one flank in order to offer there a relatively strong resistance with few troops whilst we carry out our intended offensive on the other flank with these obstacles the use of entrenchments may be combined with great advantage because then if the enemy passes the obstacle the fire from the entrenchments may secure our weak force from being overwhelmed by superior numbers and thrown back too suddenly seven when we are on the defensive every obstacle covering our front is of great value all hills on which positions are taken up are only occupied on this account for an elevated position has seldom any important influence often none at all on the effect of arms in use if we stand above the enemy as he approaches he must ascend with difficulty therefore he advances only slowly his ranks get into disorder and he reaches us with his physical powers exhausted advantages for us which with equal bravery and numbers on each side ought to be decisive the great effect morally of a rapid charge at full speed is a point which must not on any account be overlooked the soldier who is advancing becomes insensible even to danger the one who is standing still loses his presence of mind it is therefore always advantageous to place the first lines of infantry and artillery on high ground if the slope of the hill is so steep its declivity so broken and uneven that we cannot sweep it well with our fire which is often the case then instead of placing our front line on the summit ridge that part should at most only be occupied by skirmishers and the full line should be so placed on the reverse slope that at the moment when the enemy reaches the summit ridge and begins to rally his ranks he is exposed to the greatest fire all other local features which form obstacles to approach such as small rivers streams hollow ways etc serve to make breaks in the enemy's front he must after passing them halt to reform and that delays him therefore he should then be brought within range of our most effectual fire the most effectual fire is grape four hundred to six hundred yards if there is plenty of artillery available the fire of musketry a hundred and fifty to two hundred yards if there is little artillery at hand eight through this it becomes a rule to include within the zone of our most effective fire every obstacle to approach with which we wish to strengthen our front but at the same time it is important to observe that our whole defence should never depend entirely on our fire but a considerable portion of our troops one-third to one-half should always be kept ready to attack with the bayonet therefore if we are very weak we must merely place the line of fire riflemen and artillery 
near enough to cover the obstacle with their fire and place the rest of the troops in column six hundred or eight hundred yards further back and if possible under cover nine another way of making use of obstacles to approach in front is to let them be a little further in front of our line so that they shall be within the effective range of cannon shot one thousand to two thousand yards and if the enemy's columns pass them to attack him from all sides at minden the duke ferdinand did something like this in this manner an obstacle of ground is favourable to the plan of actively defending ourselves and this active defence of which we have already spoken elsewhere then takes place on our front ten in the preceding observations obstacles of ground and country have been considered chiefly as connected lines in relation to extensive positions but it is necessary to say something about single points isolated points in general can only be defended either by entrenchments or by a strong natural obstacle of ground of the first we do not speak at present obstacles of ground which standing isolated may have to be defended can only be a isolated steep heights in this case entrenchments are indispensable because the enemy can always advance against the defender with a front more or less extended and the defender must then at last be taken in rear because he will rarely be strong enough to show a front on all sides b defiles under this term we include every narrow way forming the only approach by which the enemy can reach a particular point bridges embankments rocky gullies with precipitous sides belong to this class in respect to all these cases it is to be observed that either it is impossible for the assailant to turn the obstacle as for instance a bridge over a great river in which case the defender may boldly use all his force in order to bring as much fire as possible to bear on the point of passage or we are not secure against the obstacle being turned as in the case of bridges over small streams and the greater number of mountain defiles then it is necessary to reserve a considerable part of the force one-third to one-half for an attack in close order c buildings and enclosures villages small towns etc if troops are brave and carry on a war with enthusiasm there is no place or condition of things in which a few can so well resist many as in the defence of houses but if we are not quite certain of the men individually it is better only to occupy the houses gardens etc with riflemen and to plant cannon at the approaches and to draw up the greater part of the troops one-third to one-half in close column in the place itself or behind it under cover in order to rush upon the enemy with this reserve when he attempts to enter eleven these isolated posts serve the great operations partly as outposts not intended to offer an absolute defence but mostly only to detain the enemy partly at points which are of importance in the combinations plan for the whole army it is also often necessary to hold a distant point in order to gain time for the development of active defensive measures which we have in view if the point is remote it is naturally on that account isolated twelve it is only now necessary to add two remarks concerning isolated points the first is that we must hold troops in readiness behind these points for the detachments to rally upon in case of being driven out the second is that whoever includes such a defence in the series of his combinations should never reckon too much upon it let the strength of the natural obstacles of ground be ever so great that on the other hand whoever is entrusted with the defence must determine to carry out the object let circumstances be ever so adverse to him for this a spirit of resolution and self-devotion is required which can only spring from a thirst for glory and from enthusiasm for this reason people must be chosen for such duties who are not deficient in these noble qualities of the soul thirteen all that concerns the use of the ground as a means of covering our position and our march up to occupy it requires no elaborate exposition 
we do not now place ourselves on a hill we wish to defend open bracket as was often done formerly close bracket but behind it we do not place ourselves before a wood but in it or behind it the latter only when we can overlook the wood or thicket we keep our troops in columns that they may be more easily concealed we take advantage of villages plantations all undulations of the ground in order to conceal our troops behind them in advancing we choose the most broken intersected country etc in cultivated countries there are hardly any localities so much overlooked that it is not possible by a skilful use of such obstacles and features as the ground presents to keep a great part of the troops on the defensive from being seen for the assailant there is more difficulty in keeping a march secret because he must follow the high road of course when the ground is made use of for purposes of concealment of troops this must be done with a due regard to the end and the combinations which have been decided upon therefore in this we must take care above all things that we do not pull to pieces the order of battle although some small deviations may be allowable fourteen if we sum up what has now been said on ground we deduce from it as respects the defensive that is the choice of positions that the following points are those of most importance a support one or both flanks b open view before front and flanks c obstacles to the approach in front d masked positions for troops to this may be added e a broken country in rear because that makes pursuit difficult in case of disaster but no defiles too near as at friedland for that causes delay and confusion fifteen it would be pedantic to suppose that all these advantages are to be obtained at every position which it is necessary to take up in war all positions are not of equal importance their importance increases in proportion to the probability of our being attacked in them it is only in the most important that we try to combine if possible all these advantages in others we try to do so more or less sixteen the considerations which the assailant has to study in respect to ground are principally embraced in two leading points not to choose an over difficult country for the point of attack and next on all those occasions to advance through the country so that the enemy could see as little as possible of our movements seventeen i close these observations on the use of ground with a maxim of the highest importance for the defence and which is to be regarded as the keystone of the whole theory of defence which is not to expect everything from the strength of the ground consequently never to be enticed into a passive defence by a strong country for if the country is in reality so strong that it is impossible for the assailant to drive us out of our position he will turn it which is always possible and then the strongest country is useless we are then compelled to fight under quite different circumstances in quite a different country and we might as well not have included the other locality in our combinations but if the ground is not of such strength if it is possible to attack it still the advantages of such a position will never outweigh the disadvantages of a passive defence all obstacles of ground must therefore only be taken advantage of for a partial defensive in order to offer a relatively great resistance with few troops and to gain time for the offensive by which the real victory is to be gained at other points end of appendix one part one recording by timothy ferguson gold coast australia